We are so glad that you're here today. If you're watching us online, man, we're glad that you uh, tuned in. If you're watching online and it's your first time uh, just checking out the church, we're so glad that you're doing that. That's why we made that available to you. Uh, and I know most of you who are new, newer with us, uh, you did that, and so we're glad that we can offer that. Um, to you if you're new and if you're here in this room. Man, it's a privilege to be able to be here. Obviously, last week we did not have that opportunity to gather together. We found out at 6 a.m. our power went out and uh, just to give you a little peek behind the curtain, so to speak, we're, whenever that happens, uh, which oftentimes around wintertime or around uh, hurricane season, believe it or not, I'm a Floridian, so I know hurricane season well, but I'll be honest with you, I've lost more power here in North Carolina than I ever did. In, in Naples, Florida. Um, I appreciate many of you reaching out and asking. Um, just, we have a lot of relationships down in that area and uh, the church that I served at and they're all doing well and um, are just taking opportunity to really serve and love those who, who uh, as you've seen on the news, many have lost everything if they're, especially in the Fort Myers Beach area. I checked in with them, said, how can we help? They're like, man, we just had generosity uh, just overwhelming generosity, and so they have the resources to be able to go after those things. And but uh, my parents live in Orlando; they were fine, didn't even lose power, but we did here. Uh, so, you know, uh, I you don't understand the turmoil that I was like, okay, we got it. Seven thirty's got to be the the you know when the door of the ark supposedly has to close and we got to make a call and and the pressure that i feel in that cuz i like as soon as 7 we make that call 731 the power is going to kick on but it didn't kick on till about 1130 which I was very thankful of, to be honest with you, because I was like, okay, we made the right call. But uh, our staff stayed in the, audit in the auditorium and there to greet people, because, and uh, we knew not everyone's gonna see the message. All of you call this place your home did, for the most part, and, uh, but it was so great to meet so many visitors. Um, and so hopefully you're here today. If I didn't get the chance to see you before, I'd love to see you afterwards, now that we're doing church. Uh, but we are going to be in uh, continuing this series, Eyes Wide Open, seeing your story through the lens of God's story. That's what we're going after in this series. And as I've said every week, but I just want to do a little bit of review because I know sometimes you're out on vacation, whatever it may be, you're sick, you don't have a chance to maybe watch online when that's the case, and, and this is just such a pivotal series for us because really what I am laying out in series form, in message form, is really what we take intentional time with um, as we go after discipleship in our church through uh, one arm of our discipleship ministry called Restore. So if you're in Restore right now and, and you're going through that, then what you're hearing on Sunday is nothing new to you, although we're ahead of where you are right now. And uh, if that's something that is, you've not been a part of, then that's why we're going through this series is because I want you to see how really what we say at Salem Chapel, one of the things that we say is we really feel called by God, it's part of your discipleship and mine, to not only know how Jesus makes a difference in your eternity, but how he makes a difference in your life right now. And oftentimes, well, the, way, the way that we really get sidetracked, so to speak, or don't see that is because if we're to view our life in this timeline continuum of past, present, and future, there's a chart on the screen behind me. We've covered like our reality can be made up of three things, our past experiences, our present experiences, and those that will to come in the future. 
And unfortunately, because we live in a sinful, broken world, many of us, we have amazing things that have happened in our past that we like to celebrate, that we like to look back on. And, and uh, you know, social media has this beautiful, awesome feature that it says, this happened a year ago. This happened if you posted it three years ago. And, and uh, those are always great to see. We just had two of our kids who are now teenagers, like, like they went to homecoming. And, and Lori and I went to dinner on uh, last night, just the two of us, and we were like, we are finally a middle-aged couple. And dealing with that, but, and then we have, like, we started looking at all these pictures of when they were so little, but what's my point? We have amazing things that have happened in our past, but unfortunately, there's a lot of difficult things, too. A lot of difficult things that you may be going through right now. In a crowd this size, one thing I've learned in 20 years of ministry is that chances are, when we gather together in a group this size, the overwhelming majority are going through some very difficult things. And so whether it's your past, whether it's your present, it obviously can affect how you view the future. My point is this, that whatever we're experiencing can become our reference point by how we see our, that, that determines how we see ourselves, how we see others, and unfortunately, how we see God. We have a story, but God also has a story. The Bible that you hold on your lap the Bible that you have on, on your tablet or on your phone that you're, that you're going to be looking at as we unpack God's word this morning. God's word is a story. Yes, it's made up of 66 books, but it's made up of one story. And God's word, God's story reveals to us who he is. And God's story from Genesis all the way to Revelation, in spite of all the twists and turns that happen in between, is a story of love. And his story is made up of really four movements. It's called the meta-narrative of Scripture. Last, the first week we kicked off going into God's story, we looked at creation. We looked at Genesis 1 and 2 and looked at, see, that God created everything. And it was, if you remember, it was very, yeah, it was very good. See, God created us for love. Did he create us for glory? Absolutely, but how do we glorify the Lord? Well, we glorify him, Jesus said it, by loving the Lord our God and loving each other. God created us for love. That's how we glorify God. He created us not to experience evil. He created us to only experience relationship with him and to receive his love and to reflect his love to others. But unfortunately, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, it should have been last week, but obviously for, you know why we didn't meet last week, I already said it, you have this movement in God's story of the fall. And what the fall reveals to us is evil can keep us from his love. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve choose to sin. And because of their sin, what's the result? They are forced out of the Garden of Eden, this perfect utopia that God created for man and woman to enjoy with one another and enjoy with him. But they had to have that separation take place. Why? Because sin entered the world. And so everything that we experience, to go back to that chart of your reality and mine, those things that weigh us down, those evils that have been done to us, that sin committed against us, or that sin that we commit to one another, the death that we experience in this world of a lost loved one, the, the cancer, the disease that we experience in our own body and the body of others that we love, the anxieties, the fears, the sorrows, the shames, 
the, the tendency to want to run and run to fantasy to escape. All of those struggles that we experience are the result of sin and evil being introduced to this world, something that you were not created for. But for the next two weeks, we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this movement of the Lord's redemption, of God's redemption. And we're going to see that Jesus Christ restores us with his love. That he entered into our darkness. And then we'll close out this series by looking at consummation. That consummation in the book of Revelation reminds us of what? It reminds us that we will enjoy love forever. That Jesus will restore what sin has broken in all of its facets. That is God's story. But just to reflect on what we looked at last week, when we think about our present reality, what's the problems that we oftentimes face when we understand this reality that, that even though we know this, even though we're like, okay, I've been taught this since Sunday school, creation and Adam and Eve sinned and Jesus Christ loves me and one day he's coming back. Well, then why do we sit here this morning if we're just going to be honest and say, I know all that, but I have no idea how that impacts my anxiety right now as I look forward to Monday morning walking into a job that I don't want to be at. How that helps me in my relationship with my spouse right now that's hanging on by a thread. How I'm struggling to think about, man, how in the world am I gonna, there's not enough money. There's all these bills and there's this amount of money and I have no idea how that's gonna work. That's where we struggle. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand with this question and I'm confident that, that everyone's gonna raise their hand or I wouldn't ask it, okay? How many of you have ever heard before that Jesus lived a perfect life for you, died on the cross for your sins, and rose again three days later. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. Not necessarily believe it, but raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up. Can everybody look around, look around, look around? I don't see any hand that's not raised. Welcome to the Bible Belt. <laughs> now, I would never ask that question where I served in Florida. Why? Because I didn't want, wouldn't want to make anyone feel ashamed that their hand's not raised. But I was pretty confident, at least whether or not you believed it or not, you've heard that. Why did I just do that? Because what we are going to unpack in the next two weeks, it is gonna be so easy for you to just be like, yeah, I've heard that all before. But listen to me, part of the reason why we have the problem in not understanding that Jesus makes a difference, not only for our eternity and our everyday life, is that very thing. Because we have truncated the gospel to only be in terms of how it affects our eternity. As amazing and glorious as that is, and, we, and even though we say that, we have no idea how glorious it is. We so often, especially in the culture that we live in, have tied it to, hey, uh, if you don't wanna go to hell, raise your hand, pray the prayer. Well, I haven't met anybody that wants to go to hell. <laughs> Never once. Whether or not they believed in it or not, they're like, well, if there is one, I don't wanna go there. Of course not. And yes, I'm thankful that Jesus Christ came and we're gonna talk about that today. But listen to me, the enemy knows that he loses in the end. The enemy knows the word of God. Trust me, he knows Revelation 21 and 22 and 20. He knows how it's gonna end. So what's the enemy's goal? He's like, well, I'm gonna wreak havoc until that happens 
on the, in this world. And the reason why I say that is the same thing is true for your life. The devil knows that I have placed my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He knows that he cannot take away salvation from me. He knows he cannot take away my destiny. He knows that Johnny is in the palm of the Father's hand and nothing can take me out of that relationship. That if I die today, that I will be with my Lord and Savior for all of eternity. The devil knows he cannot do anything with that, but here's what he does know. And here's what he is trying to achieve. How can I, through all of my deception and discouragement and division, those things that we talked about during the fall, the devil's tools, so to speak, and distractions, how can I cause Johnny to not realize how the gospel impacts every aspect of his life while he lives on this earth? If you're a child of God this morning, that's what the enemy's after. That's a part of your discipleship to know how to combat that so that you can say, glorious is the reality that I will be with the Lord forever in heaven for all of eternity. But that's not the only glorious part of the gospel. I also understand how to apply his love to everything that I experience in this life. And that is a constant growing and unpacking of the Lord's love for me. That's what the Lord wants for you. That's what he desires. So, if you're taking notes this morning, here's the title of the message. God's story, redemption. Part one. Part one. Here's the idea that I want you to get today. It's this, and I've already said it, just over giving that overview of God's story with that chart. It's this, Jesus restores you with his love. If you're taking notes, I want you to put your name instead of the word you. I want you to make it personal this morning. Jesus restores, put your name with his love. For your eternity, yes, but for the things that you are struggling with right now. Jesus is both the sa- your savior for your sin. He died once and for all for that. But he also is your savior who can help you through every circumstance of life today. Think about this. Think about that anxiety that you're struggling with. Think about that shame that you're struggling with, that guilt, whatever it is, whatever struggle it is. And you're like, well, if I'm gonna think about that idea of my reality, man, that's a part of my story. It's, it's, it's affecting my life and how I see life right now. But if we're to look at creation, would you say that God created you to experience that? Absolutely not. God didn't create you for that. Will you experience that when Jesus comes back and he writes all wrongs? Absolutely not. Does Jesus come, as we're gonna see, to increase that anxiety or increase that shame or increase that guilt? Absolutely not. Jesus says in John 3, I didn't come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. I came to give life and to give it abundantly. Well, what's the result of those things that I experienced? Those are the results of the fall. 
But what I want to emphasize this morning is the fall is a part of God's story. Those things are a part of your story. But listen to me, it's not the end of your story. It's not. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 4.18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. Some of us are sitting here this morning and we may be physically poor. We're like, I don't have the resources to meet the needs right now that that are in front of me. But you also may be emotionally poor. Like, I don't have the emotional bandwidth to, to feel like I can go another day with the things that I'm experiencing. What's the point? Jesus came to bring good news to that. Jesus came to break the chains that have you in bondage right now with his what? With his love. With his love. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to answer this question. What links did Jesus take to restore you with his love? How far did he go? How far did he go to show you today that he loves you? You may be here today and you're, you're feeling like no one loves you. If you're here today and you're feeling that way, I am so thankful, not that you feel that way in any way, but that you can hear today that there is someone that loves you in a way that that person that you wish would can't. See, here's the first way that Jesus restores you with his love. Number one, what links did he take? Jesus entered into your darkness to restore you with his love. That's the gospel. That we, through Adam and Eve, messed it all up. But Jesus entered into the darkness that we created. The darkness that that in your past that you struggle with and feeling guilt and shame over and regret over and wondering if you can ever move past that. Jesus entered into that darkness. To do what? To restore you, to restore me with his love. And he did it in spite of knowing the great humiliation that he would have to endure. That didn't take Jesus by surprise. The great pain that he would have to endure, that didn't take Jesus by surprise. The fact that he would have to be separated from God in that moment when our sin was upon him, that didn't take him by surprise. But Jesus entered into our darkness to restore you, put your name there, with his love. Let me read to you these verses that you probably know well. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Paul says this as he writes to the church at Philippi. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now he's going to speak about what Jesus has done. Who though he was in the form of God, in other words, that idea is he was God, even though it may seem a little bit confusing in the English, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus came to this earth not feeling like he had to prove anything. He knew who he was. He didn't have to grasp for something that was already his. But what did he do? Verse 7, he emptied himself. That word empty means laid aside. It doesn't mean that he no longer was God, but what did he empty himself of? Let's just think about it. He emptied himself of his heavenly glory because he left heaven to come to earth. Left his throne. He also laid aside his authority. You're like, what do you mean? Here's what I mean by that. He allowed himself to know what it was like 
To, to be a baby, to be a toddler, to be a little child, to grow in adolescence. He allowed himself to experience those things. He put himself under the authority of his parents. He put himself ultimately under the authority of God the Father. He submitted to his will in everything. He put himself under the authority of a government that was literally something that he would not have agreed with, yet he placed himself under that authority. He placed himself under the authority of paying his taxes. What do I mean by that? Is, is he laid aside, he was God, he was creator of the universe, but he laid aside his heavenly glory. He laid aside the authority that was his, and he lived under that authority. What else did he lay aside? Man, he laid aside his heavenly riches. The gospels say Jesus didn't have a home. He was a nomad. He traveled around, but he didn't have a home to go to and keys to unlock the door and say, oh, this is my haven. I can just recharge. No. He emptied himself of that. For what purpose? So that ultimately, he could die the death that you and I deserve. That's all the idea of, but he emptied himself by what? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, entering into our darkness, so to speak, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. John 1 says it this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, capital W, was God, speaking of Jesus he was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. Verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Why did I read that? Because what John is emphasizing is part of the meta-narrative of scripture. Jesus was present in creation. When everything that was created was very good. And in spite of the fall happening, John's point is, is look to the links by which God took God the Son to save you and me. He entered into the world that humanity broke. He entered into your darkness and mine. He laid aside his glory to enter your darkness and mine. He endured the pain and the humiliation to enter into your darkness and mine. He entered into the guilt and the shame and the fear and the sorrow and the pain of this world to restore you and me with this love. And what motivated him to do this? His love. So that darkness that you're feeling right now, Jesus came to not leave you there, but to restore you, to redeem you. Here's a second thing that Jesus did. What lengths did Jesus take to restore me with his love? Jesus shared in your humanity to restore you with his love. I mean, think about it. If we're to look at it in a doctrinal way, Jesus had to live a perfect life because without living a perfect life, God would not accept someone else dying on your behalf and mine. 
That goes all the way back to the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Why did the Lord demand a perfect spotless lamb? Because it was a picture of what Jesus Christ would do. I couldn't die for you, and you couldn't die for me. Why? Because you're a sinner and I am a sinner. So we're both guilty of God's judgment because of our sin. But I think it's more than that. A part of that, yes, absolutely, but it's more than that. Listen to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. So since the children have flesh and blood, you and me, all of us, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He came to restore what the enemy had broken. Verse 15, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. When the son entered our world, he became fully human, though without sin. Jesus was God, even though he emptied himself. He couldn't sin, which is why that's so important. Jesus took on a body and a soul like ours. So what's our soul made up of? Mind, emotions, and will. So Jesus subjected himself, once again, to learn. Jesus subjected himself to have emotions. He felt, he cried. We see that in the Gospels. Jesus also, his will, part of his soul, he submitted in obedience to the Father. Jesus put on a body and a soul just like ours. Verse 17, for this reason he was to be made like them, fully human in every way for two reasons. First, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. See, there's the piece of the gospel that we miss. Because we're all thinking about eternity. But we have no idea how it makes a difference in the here and now. But wait a minute. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus did all this. Why? So that he can minister to you with his love in every circumstance. Because he lived it. And here's the part that we do know, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, forgiveness. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. There's a show. How many of you have ever seen this show? Maybe you haven't. I don't even know if it's on anymore. It's called Undercover Boss. Anybody remember that? Um, so I remember, not that that was a big show that I watched, but I was intrigued when it first came out. The whole premise of this show, if you haven't seen it, is this. Literally, you would have a boss, he, would, he or she would disguise themselves, and they would go in and they would do the work of the hourly employees, the most menial tasks that you can imagine. And the whole point of it is, is so the boss could understand what they were experiencing, could understand what they may have been struggling with. So that was one reason. The other reason is so those employees could like, wow, holy cow, my boss would actually subject themselves to do the same menial tasks that I've done that I don't even maybe like to do. That was the whole point. In a much grander scale, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and me. He came so that I could never say to God, even though I still sometimes do, Lord, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to love a person and have them just hurt you deeply. Lord, you don't know what it's like. Oh, he doesn't? He doesn't? Have you read the Gospels? 
You don't know what it's like to struggle with anxiety and literally not know how you're going to get out of bed in the morning. Or you don't know what it's like. He doesn't. I remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane being overwhelmed with anxiety about what he was going to have to endure to say, man, if there's any other way, Lord, let it be. So much so that he's literally sweating blood. Here's why I say that. I don't say that to minimize or to make you feel shame over what you're experiencing. I do that to emphasize the reality of why did Jesus put on human flesh? Oh, we always want to give the Sunday school answer because he had to because I was a sinful person. And yes, that's the right answer. But listen to me. What about the here and now? What about what you're feeling right now? What about what you're experiencing right now? What about the things that have you weighed down right now? That's also why Jesus came. That's also why he entered into our darkness. That's also why he said, I'm gonna share humanity and put on human flesh and robe myself with those and put on a soul and put on a body so that you can run to me and know that I know what it's like so that I can be a high priest to you and minister to you. Have you ever thought to yourself and the worst thing that I could ever say in a pastoral moment to someone, and unfortunately I've had to sit with people who have lost their children, and I've had to sit with people whose spouse has been diagnosed with a terminal disease, and know going up those stairs and up that elevator and to go see them and be like, me being overwhelmed with sorrow for them and literally feeling so insufficient to be able to bring care in any way And the worst thing that I could possibly say to someone, say, I know what it's like. Because for a lot of those scenarios, I don't. And how that would be so insincere to you to say those words. And though we don't have a savior who was married and experienced marital troubles and had children and maybe experienced the loss of a child. or But we have those same emotions that are made up in those circumstances in many other ways that we could look at in the Gospels and say, yep, that emotion was the same though the circumstance wasn't. Loss, betrayal, hurt, pain, Lack of approval. Listen to these words. Speaking of Jesus, he experienced every type of emotional pain and spiritual pain. Circumstances such as temptation, hunger, poverty, rejection, facing the approval or disapproval of people, parents struggling to let go, Sorrow, death of loved ones, injustice of those in authority, falsely accused, betrayed by those closest to him, physical abuse, emotional abuse, anxiety, and our Jesus dealt with it all perfectly so that he could die for you and walk with you through every circumstance that you may experience 
and say to you through the Holy Spirit, I know what you're going through. I walked it for you. I am with you. I love you. And I am working that evil for good. You can clap. One more person then. Yes, thank you. Can you thank you for instituting that. We don't ever think of that. We don't ever think of that when we're struggling. That I got a Savior who knows. Why? That's spiritual warfare, folks. Because the enemy, he knows he can't affect your eternity. But if he can affect you from realizing that you have a Savior that you can run to in those moments and experience his love in a supernatural way, then he can affect the power of the gospel in your life today. He shared in your humanity. Here's a third thing. What lengths did he go to to restore you with his love? Well, Jesus learned obedience through suffering to restore you with his love. Now, some of you who like to geek out on doctrine, you're like, wait a minute, I thought he couldn't sin. And absolutely, that's what we just read in Hebrews chapter two. So what do I mean by that? Well, listen to Hebrews chapter five, verses eight and nine. It says, although he was a son, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. Here's what it doesn't mean. Because sometimes I think if we can say what it doesn't mean, it helps us to understand what it does. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus turned from disobedience to obedience like you and I do. But what it does mean is he lived a sinless life on this earth and Jesus demonstrated over and over again in the midst of suffering what it looks like to be obedient to the will of God. That's what that means. So once again, why? So that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins? Yes, amen, absolutely. But once again, when I encounter suffering, when I'm faced with the faith struggles, of I'm not sure I can believe in a God who would allow this. And I'm not sure I can believe in a God who would let me go through this. That in the midst of that suffering, I have a Savior that I can look to, that can minister to me, that I can cry out to and say, Lord, you encountered every type of emotion that I'm feeling right now. You encountered every type of struggle and temptation that I'm struggling to believe right now. But you did it for me perfectly, so why would I not run to the person who can say, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I can't say that for you. And you can't say that for me. And that doesn't mean that we ought to not press in the responsibility of bearing with one another's burdens, but not to the replacement of running to our high, faithful high priest who did every possible thing and took every length to show you that he loves you, that he loves you. I want to answer this question as well. Why did Jesus experience ultimate suffering for us? Ultimate suffering meaning the cross. Why? Well, here's the first reason, and we probably know this reason well. Jesus took upon himself all of your sin. He had to do that. 
He had to die on the cross for your sin. He had to shed his blood for you. Cross, the cross just happened to be the way that they executed people during that time of Rome. But he had to shed his blood for you. He had to die for you. 1 John 2, 2 says this, he is the propitiation or payment for our sin and not for ours only, but for all the sins of the whole world. So here's the point that I just want you to grasp under this because many of us know this already. Though we may not believe it, we at least know it. Is yes, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but I want you to think about something. I think about the times that I've sinned and I've done something wrong and the guilt that comes with it. And depending how I weigh it in my mind, the amount of guilt that I feel over it, and sometimes how paralyzing that can be, and the shame of that, and the regret of that. Now, I want you to multiply that. Let's just think about everyone's sin and those emotions that you feel because of it. Just in this room, none of us would be able to bear that weight. Now, think about Jesus hanging on the cross and bearing that weight for all of humanity, past present, and future. That's the weight that Jesus bore, that he took upon himself. Why? What made him do it? It was his love. Why did Jesus have to experience ultimate suffering? Here's another reason. Because Jesus had to absorb all of God's wrath for your sin. See, when we think about our world and we think about the injustice that we often see from those in authority, whether that's past in our history or present or wherever it is, what makes that so difficult to comprehend? Because people that have been given that responsibility to carry out justice didn't do it correctly and purely. So when we think about God's wrath, because he's perfect, he has to judge sin. Otherwise, he would not be perfect. He would be unjust. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of our sin is death. But when we think about God's wrath in the sense of Isaiah 53, 5, listen to what Jesus did for you and me. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities, another word for sin. Upon him was the chastisement, the judgment, the wrath. That's what that word means. But what did that bring us? Say that word with me. Starts with a P. Say it one more time. What did it bring me? What did it bring you? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I want you to picture it this way. I want you to picture, I got this picture of just black water here. It's just food coloring. But I got this cross, and I want you to picture it this way. I want you to picture as though this picture with this water in it, this black water, symbolizes God's wrath. And as Jesus is on the cross, and he hangs there, that what is happening is, is all of God's wrath is being poured out on the Son. All of your sin all of the things that bring, that bring you shame, all of the things that are bringing you anxiety, all of the things that cause you to fear, all of maybe the abuse or injustice that you suffered on behalf of someone else, all of that is being poured out on the sun. Why, why did I do that? To share with you this morning that God's wrath 
for you who have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection for your sin, his wrath on your life is no more. It is empty. It's gone. But what so often do I struggle with? How can a God love me when I've done this? How can a God love me when I've done that? How can a God bring, really receive me when I've wandered away and I've done this? This is what we need to remind ourselves of, that the enemy in the spiritual warfare that takes place wants you to forget because he wants your reality to be your ref, his reference point, your reference point rather than his love for you. Because if I can cause you to believe and to think that God can't love you in spite of whatever you have done, then I can affect how you live in the power of the gospel on your life while you're on this earth. But I just want us to be reminded for some of us, every one of us raised our hand that what we think of so often terms of, yeah, I know that theologically, but I have no idea how that impacts my everyday life. Here's how it does. That I am always accepted by God Almighty through Jesus Christ. There is no wrath on my life anymore. It's been poured out on Jesus Christ. He was pierced. He was crushed. The chastisement that was poured on him brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Here's the third reason why Jesus experienced ultimate suffering, and I want you to stick with me on this. Jesus experienced when that wrath of God was poured out and sin was placed on God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus experienced separation from God so you would never have to. What does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? That everyone who believes in him is in the Father's hand and no one can pluck him out of his hand. In fact, he says, we're in the Father's hand and then we're in Jesus' hand. Jesus was separated, though I won't understand it, though we can't understand it, though there's discussions on whether or not that was the case, but why did Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22 there, because in some way, some form, there was this separation that took place in that moment for how long we don't know, but nevertheless, Jesus experienced that, so we would never have to. I will never, by God's grace, ever need to utter these words, though I may struggle to do so sometimes, in whatever I'm experiencing, ever to say, Jesus, you're not with me in this. Jesus, you're not with me in this marital struggle. Jesus, you're not with me in this hospital room. Jesus, you're not with me as I'm walking into that job tomorrow and I'm struggling whether or not I'm gonna still have it or not. Jesus, you're not with me in this injustice that I'm experiencing. Jesus, you're not with me in this trial, whatever it may be. I will never be able to utter those words and it actually be true if I'm a child of God. Why? Jesus endured separation so you and I would never have to. And he did it all so that he could be the savior of your sin, but also the savior of your circumstances. So how does Jesus make a difference in my life today? Let me just give you two ways as we close. Here's the first one. I can trust him to love me through my darkest pain because he showed his love to me through his darkest pain. Whatever it is today, 
Just allow yourself to think about what Jesus endured for you. And that's the reason why you can trust him today. Here's the second thing. I can trust that he will provide incomparable peace even when my circumstances aren't changing because he showed his love by purchasing relational peace for me as a child of God. We just read that in Isaiah 53. Why did he do it? To bring me peace. So even though right now he may not be removing the circumstance, whatever that may be, it's oftentimes in those circumstances, in those waitings, that what the Lord is doing is he's wanting those struggles and he's wanting those things to draw me closer to him. Because it's in those things that I've found in my own life where I try everything and everyone to, to bring me the source of contentment that only his love can bring. So I'll run and ask advice from everybody else and I'll do everything in my power to avoid the situation and I'll try to Google and whatever it is, whatever the circumstance, and try to do everything in my power to remove myself from that situation. But you know what I've oftentimes found? That in that struggle... The Lord's not there saying, why are you being so foolish? Instead, he's like, I can wait. I can wait. And it's oftentimes the last option that I'm like, Lord, I got nowhere else to go. And he's there and he says, I've never moved. And he wants to wrap his arms around me figuratively so that I can rest in what? His love. Not his wrath, not his condemnation, his love. See, there's a chart up here on the screen and there's one addition and you probably didn't notice it on this whole idea of God's story. It's this, we emphasize this cloud cover, but for me and for you, man, this right here, our past, present, or our fear of the future is our point of reference. But what Jesus wants to grow in you as a disciple of his is that you will slowly begin to see your reality less as your reference point and see Jesus as your reference point. That when you're under these crowds and you're struggling to believe, man, I don't feel loved right now. I don't feel cared for right now. I'm struggling because I've been betrayed or, or whatever emotion that sin that's been done to me or the struggle of the sin that I've done to someone else and that's weighing me down and the enemy's working hard for that to be how I define myself, how do I define my relationships, how I define God. That what breaks that cloud cover is me reminding myself I am loved. I am loved. We've used this analogy before in this illustration, if you call this place your home, a few times before, but I want to use it again. You know, when I was coming back, I was at a conference last week in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and, and my wife and I, Lori and I, had to change our flight and come back sooner because we had no idea that the storm was going to hit 
on Friday. We thought maybe it might be Sunday. We didn't know. So we jumped on a flight earlier and thankfully we did And because our flight was canceled the next day when we were supposed to leave. But all that to say is we were in that plane, you know, there was already storm, storm starting to happen. And when you were under those clouds and that plane was under those clouds, all you saw was gray, saw no sun whatsoever. But an interesting thing happened is as that plane continued to ascend, you know what happened? We broke through the cloud cover and it was like there was none at all. All we saw was the sun. And that's the growth that Jesus through the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and me. He wants me, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, to grow in my understanding of the length and height and depth of Jesus' love for you. Because as I understand and press in more and more to see Jesus as my reference point and his love for me, rather than the things that I've done or the things that have been done to me, what begins to happen? All of a sudden, I begin to raise above that cloud cover. And I'm able to see my story in relation to God's story. And I'm able to live in a different way. That's what it looks like to live with the gospel, not only impacting my eternity, but my everyday life. Listen to me. I know what some of you are like. Johnny, just tell me what to do. I got it. I bought the t-shirt. I got the bumper sticker. I got the hat, the hoodie. Like, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Here's what I want you to do. And more importantly, what Jesus wants you to do this week is I just want you to rest in his love for you. That's it. Getting overwhelmed tomorrow, getting overwhelmed right now. Those emotions start creeping on you. I know what that's like. They get you up in the middle of the night, whatever it may be. I just want you, if you need to say it out loud and saying, I'm loved by Jesus. I'm not believing enemy in what you want me to believe. I'm loved by Jesus. Stop thinking about what you need to do. And just rest in his love right now. Do you understand why this is part one? Would you stand with me this morning? Listen to me. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're watching me online right now or listening to me later on in the week, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If I will call on the name of the Lord, I shall be saved. The Lord made it simple. The reason why it's simple is because he did everything. It was not simple for him but the Lord did it so it's simple for you and I. It's just me calling out and saying, Lord, I believe that you lived and you died and you rose again for my sin and you can have a relationship with God. And so if that's you, that's what I encourage you to do. It's no magical prayer. It's just calling out to the Lord. But let's pray this morning and let's walk out of here in the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you today that we are loved by you. Lord, may you give us the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to break through that cloud cover and to be able to be reminded that your love as a child of God is our reference point. In Jesus' name, amen.